Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. So good to be with you once again, and we are glad to have back on the program a friend of the program, and uh, always a thrill to talk to Frank Murtaugh, Memphis Flyer and Memphis Magazine. We talk about uh, several sports topics, and Frank, kind enough to join us again today. Frank, how are you? Great, Jeff. Good to be with you. All, all kinds of stuff going on. You you, uh, you pick the sport, man, and I'll see what I can come up with. Today. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Of course, you know, we had a couple of uh, uh, marquee events uh, this past weekend that I personally don't feel are like marquee events anymore. Let's first start with the Daytona 500. Uh, so when I looked at the top 10 finish, it's like, okay, I might have recognized two, three names to start with. And then... Yeah. NASCAR has gotten to where, especially on these super speedway races, where you can pretty much predict the finish is going to involve a crash and some sort of controversial finish these days. Yeah, it almost felt like you know, Monday afternoon, Monday evening, I guess it was that it was it was scripted for that, Jeff, didn't it? I mean, when they were when they were running three wide with less than you know ten laps to go, it's, it was a matter of when, not if, and. Uh, there, there's there's something disturbing about that. You know, I when I watch, I, I have been at best a casual NASCAR fan over my life, but I, I paid close attention in February, as as most you know sports fans do to the Daytona 500. And what I wonder is what happened to the star power that we knew. You know, when you know you and I were young men, and uh, you know it, it's you know a lot goes back to to Dale Earnhardt's death in, in 2002. It's been more than 20 years now. And, and I'm convinced that, you know, Earnhardt's successor, so to speak, but would have been Jimmy Johnson reeling off those championships. And as, as great a driver as he was and is, he's just, you know, sort of a, a square guy. He, he didn't bring, you know, the personality package that Dale Earnhardt did go, going back further to guys like, you know, Cale Yarborough, Richard Petty, the guys that, that built this, built NASCAR culture as much as, as, as NASCAR, the sport, you know, the, the racing itself. So I, I think there's a combination of factors that have just have, have made it a, a somewhat starless enterprise right now. And, you know, hats off to William Byron, but is, is he going to, is he going to sell a product on a, on a commercial? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd recognize him next weekend. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting, you know, cause you brought up, uh, you know, the Dale Earnhardt uh, period and and around that time, you know, NASCAR was starting to have a, a bit of a boom. You know, they were they were starting to 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 get a little more mainstream and things like that. I kind of feel like they got a little bit greedy, and as as that went, I think they started to price their core fan base out of the market. You know, because tickets, you know, for racing used to be very affordable. Now they're very expensive. And, you know, people used to, you know, travel three, four, five races a year. Now they might do one. Wow. Yeah. You know that, I mean, does that surprise you? I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's basically the, the, the world we're living in. You, you name it, um, uh, whatever, you know, in, entertainment vehicle we're talking about. I saw a, uh, something popped up on my social media about a, a kiss concert in 1976 with Bob Seger opening the ticket price on the day of the show, Jeff, was seven dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> this was nineteen seventy six. Now, whatever you want to say about inflation and the math of, of an economy over the course of 40, 50 years, no, there, there's something there's something in the mix there, and, and a lot of it is, is the word you used, greed. 
Um, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot to what you're suggesting. Um, you know, NASCAR, let's also address the, you know, the elephant in the room. They have their Super Bowl to start off the season. Mm-hmm. Th- that's just, you know, I, I guess because it's been doing, they've been doing it for decades, we're just supposed to accept that. That's odd. It, it's bizarre, strange. You know, I feel like when the Daytona 500 finishes and that trophy's lifted, I sort of exhale and I see, you know, I'll check in next next winter. It's it's a it's a weird season they have, and I don't think they they are good at building momentum. You know, over the course of their their race season. Yeah, and I know they've gone to this playoff format over the last you know races of the year, and yeah. I think a big problem is I don't think. I personally don't even understand how it works. So, it's... Well, and how about the the stages they have? You know, during a, a you know a race like the Daytona Five Hundred, you have a winner of stage one, winner of stage two. What does this mean? There's, there's, you, you got to get way too, you know, into into the weeds as a fan to try and understand the nuances of that. And and what is the guy who who took stage one taking with him beyond points in these you know nebulous standings we're talking about that that uh, we're, we're just, I'm not going to be following them during baseball season and NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs. It's just, they get, they get lost. Yeah. Have you ever been to a NASCAR race in person? I've, I've been to the Bush series race. We have a track here in Millington, Jeff, just mm-hmm. North of the city. Um, so I, I went to some races there in the two thousands. I've been behind the wheel of a, of a Monte Carlo um, on that track. It's a three quarter mile track. It's small. Uh, and let me tell you, there's there's athleticism in what these guys are doing. Even if it's just turning left, the 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 momentum of, of what happens to your body behind the wheel of a race car at even 100 miles an hour, to say nothing of 170, 180, there's there's some skill involved. Um, but um, you know, you, you asked that question. It, I was always told, and and I believe it. Once I went to my first one, that you know, you, you're if you're there on race day, you know, TV can never do you know, race day justice. And I, I, I believe that it's one of those sports that you gain a lot by being in the stands, but all the more reason, man, you gotta, you gotta make it affordable and you gotta be able to have families and, and youngsters be able to attend uh, to grow into, you know, tomorrow's diehards. Yeah. I always tell people that like, even if they're just casual sports fans, I tell them that you should go at least once to yeah. a NASCAR race. Cause it is a phenomenal in-person experience. Yeah, the, the volume, Jeff. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, the volume. You, you, it, it doesn't come across a TV screen, but when you have these, these, uh, these stock cars and the engines, and and then you you combine that with just the the, the volume and, and what you hear from the stands, which uh, you, you can't obviously hear on a, on a broadcast from Fox. Uh, it, it makes for a, a singular experience. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is amazing stuff uh, to well, witness. This NASCAR has a it has a great Hall of Fame in Charlotte. I, I visited that mm-hmm. uh, years ago, and it's a really cool Hall of Fame they have there. So if you're if you've got you know memories of, of, of days gone by with NASCAR and guys like the Intimidator, go to Charlotte and check out that Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. I was always kind of a casual NASCAR fan. And like you said, early 2000s or so, when it was starting to pick up some popularity, followed it a little bit more closely. I was never a diehard guy. Um, you know, like I never had my, my dro- well, my driver probably would have been Richard Petty uh, yeah, way yeah. back in the day. But, yeah. but you know, in that, in that particular context, I really didn't have like, oh man, I'm a this guy 
type of guy. Well, you, you know, know? <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I came to love Clint Boyer, a guy who drove here in Memphis, but then he he drove the Jack Daniels car. Um, and and if, I, as I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was number 31, which is a number I hold dear. So what the heck? I'm a Clint Boyer fan now. So <laughs> you pick your driver for all kinds of different reasons. And, and that's part of the charm uh, of NASCAR, I believe. Uh, you know, I, I think sadly these days the the uh, you know Formula One has stolen its thunder. You know, and Formula One you know long preceded NASCAR, but with with the Netflix series you know Drive to Survive and the personalities that are coming out in Formula One, you know NASCAR has got some catching up to do. Yeah, it's uh yeah they they, they definitely have fallen behind in in that respect. Um, another event that happened same day, as a matter of fact, uh, well day before was scheduled to be on the same day originally. Right. Um, so the NBA All-Star Game, which, of course, is really no longer a game uh, as it stands. And, you know, it seems like, you know, you know they, they finally had a team break 200. And, uh, you know, there's just all sorts of problems w- with this thing. And, no, I, I don't ever believe that it'll ever be played ultra competitively again. Um, and even back in the day, you know, they played with a little bit of reserve, but... There was still competition really happening there. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm, you're you're roughly my age. You're going to remember the the infamous freeze out of Michael Jordan by Isaiah Thomas and his pals, and that must have been eighty five or eighty six, early in Jordan's career. Um, there was there was internal competition, uh, you know, on your, with your team as much as rivalry between conferences. Um, you know, let me start my, my thoughts by saying I'm, I'm not an NBA All-Star Game basher. I actually, um, I, I think, th- I, I love the pregame introductions of all things, Jeff, because I feel like making an NBA All-Star team is uh, is the, is a level above Major League Baseball's All-Star Game and, and certainly the Pro Bowl and the NFL, you know, hockey's All-Star Game. It is, when you're one of the 24 guys um, to to put on an All-Star uniform, there's some prestige there. So I've always I've always had that on live. And, you know, it's, it's over the top now with, you know, the smoke and fireworks and all, but it's, it's a moment where, you know, you kind of football season's over. We're getting ready to, for the stretch run of the NBA, the, the, the part of the regular season that matters. And, you know, these are the guys to pay attention to. So I love that part of it. You know, you mentioned the, you know, the competitive level, the competition level, and it's just, it's absurd. I mean, and what, what I find a little bothersome, Jeff, is, you know, with the Pro Bowl, we all, we knew why, you know, football players aren't going to go all out for an exhibition game. You can get seriously injured, you know, mm-hmm. on a on a routine tackle in the NFL. We, we don't want to see that. Um, that doesn't happen in, in basketball. You know, you can athletes can play defense without harming themselves. It's a it's an effort enterprise. Mm-hmm. And you know, back to our our guy Jordan. You know, he was the defensive player of the year in 1988, the same year he led the league in scoring. So you you can you can do both and 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 provide your 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 very large audience an interesting basketball game that's not 211 to 186 it's you know yeah i don't, I don't know how you coach that out of them though i think that's something that's got to come from within right yeah i think i think so um you know i mean i've heard people float well why don't we make it a a money game and winner take all kind of scenario? Yeah. But then, yeah. aren't they getting paid enough? <laughs> I mean, right, right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like you. I, that's it. Does not seem to me like that would be the the proper carrot. You know, I was brainstorming and thought it might be fun if you instead of having a, a conventional game, have a, a series of two on two contests mm. and 
you know, you, you name your all-stars and, and, and it's the, the 24 players are obligated to play. Now, how you match them up, I'm not sure, but you create a round robin event. It could be over two days even. And you have, you know, you have Luka Doncic and Anthony Davis taking on, you know, LeBron James and Damian Lillard. That could be, that could be fun. And there, that would bring out some competition, I, I think, in the athletes. And it would take us back, you know, anyone who's played any driveway basketball, to, to playing two on two with our pals. And uh, I, I think it could be fun. I, I, I would watch it more carefully than I do the current game. Put it that way. Yeah. I, I, at least give me some, at least try something. Give me something yeah. in that, in that regard. Yeah. You know, my favorite all-star memory, of course, you know, the, we had the all-star game here in Orlando in the early nineties. And uh, that was uh, the year that uh, magic Johnson uh, oh, yeah. had HIV and wow. he was voted to the all-star game and hadn't played. Yeah, the season. Yeah. And I'd forgotten that was in Orlando. Yo, yeah, sure. And that was an incredible moment. So uncovering that for uh, from from our radio station at the time, and it was a great week. And you know, and I yeah. think a lot of the things that are great about the All Star Game are the the things that lead up to the, the actual Absolutely. game itself. Absolutely. So you know, Magic obviously you know, is the MVP, and and I can still see it in slow motion in my mind. So as the game was ending. I'm walking to go to the press area so to get ready for interviews after the game. And as I'm walking, you know, I'm walking behind uh, the sideline, and Magic, he's probably 20 feet away from me, throws that that three pointer up near yeah. the end of the game, yeah. and and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's I just it's just so vivid in my mind yeah. that, that it feels like slow motion. You know, fans who weren't around and 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 didn't see that Jeff are not going to appreciate where our minds and hearts were with Magic Johnson at the time, you know, when, when Magic made his announcement in right before the beginning of the 91, 92 season, um, I'm just going to speak for myself, but I think I speak for, for millions of people. We thought we were going to lose it. Yeah. You know, we didn't, we thought you know, they're Magic Johnson and, and AIDS. That's, they're not going to go well together and we're going to lose this, this icon of, of American sports. Let me ask you this at that all-star game. Were you surprised how well he played? Yes and no. I hmm. mean, like on the surface, you're thinking, "Wow, this guy's doing this, and he hasn't played all season." Yeah. But, yeah. but there's a reason he was nicknamed Magic. <laughs> He's Magic, yeah, yeah. I was, I was surprised. I thought, I, I thought he'd be out of shape, and I imagine he he was not in the kind of shape he would have been in had he been an active player. But he he just looked like you know a guy who's ready to you know ready to do his thing. Yeah, um, and that that preceded the the dream team. Am I correct? Yes, I mean, it, it is. Just, yeah would have been the winter before they went to Barcelona. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that was an amazing, amazing all-star moment. I, I, I've got to believe <laughs> if there was the top 10 all-star game moments, it'd be hard to, hard to put anything above that. Well, in the same game too, because, you know, and, and of course uh, all those guys had, you know, become so, you know, legendary for their battles. So then, you know, at one point, you know, Isaiah magic square off one-on-one and everybody else stands right. and watches and yeah. he does the same thing with Jordan. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it just seemed to have a lot more camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah. It. And, and theatrics, you know, they, they knew the entertainment value they were providing. And, and I think current NBA players have that too, you know, on a level, um, you know, I, I, I tend to come back to the, the oversaturation of, of sports media today and, 
you know, there was a time when I was a boy, I'll take you all the way back to my, the first All-Star game I watched was 1981. I was in Southern California. And back then, you know, I think we had a version of cable television, but you did not have the NBA on three or four nights a week. So the, the chance to see not only Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, but Julius Irving and Tiny Archibald and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar all together on the in the same arena on, on my TV screen for two and a half hours was, you know, it was, you know, it, it was next level. Um, we see all these, the 24 athletes who played in the All-Star game this year, you could have found highlight clips for them 24 hours a day, you know, yeah. um, all season long as they're playing. So what they provide, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't take the leap that I remember from my childhood days, but you know, Damian Lillard, I mean, you know, pulling up for jump shots at half court, are you kidding? I mean, they, what they do and, and their, uh, their abilities are just, just, uh, you know, beyond reach. I wish they would just, just battle each other a little more. Yeah. It would, it would be nice to at least bring that, uh, aspect of the game. Another idea I heard, which I kind of think they should think about is make a rolling clock. Uh, oh yeah, uh, sure. Just speed this thing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just, I think, you know, there comes a point where the score is a mockery. And when I saw, you know, I, I had, I didn't see till the next morning. But when I saw two hundred eleven points for a basketball team, that's just sort of making fun of, uh, of what we're, um, what we're here to appreciate on, on, on its one single, uh, most glamorous day. What did you think about the the uh, three point? competition between uh steph curry and sabrina ionescu yeah i like that yeah i I, I liked it a lot you know i um i i'm i'm ashamed that i don't watch more wnba basketball i'm I'm the father of two two daughters they were both athletes both are athletes um but the wnba is rising and and these women are 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 so talented we're we're seeing the caitlin clark phenomenon uh, in iowa uh, just just wait till she's a, a pro. But but I, I thought it was really cool uh, that Sabrina took on Steph. I you know you, you got to have some backbone to enter a shooting competition with the undeniably greatest shooter in the history of the game. So um, it that, it was cool. It, it it felt like it felt like a you know a, a level you know competition surface for those two for that night. I give her big props from shooting from the NBA line too. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, but they're. They're such amazing athletes, and uh, you know any um, any collaboration between the NBA and the WNBA is is healthy, I believe, and and I say that as again as the, the father of of uh, female athletes and a fan, just a fan of, of women's sports in general, and um, they're 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 incredible too. Yeah, you mentioned Kate and Caitlin Clark, so uh, you know watching this phenomenon that that that, that she has become, uh, it is very interesting because you know I'm looking at you know, women's college basketball and how I'd say in the last five, six years, maybe how much the athleticism has, has evolved. Cause a lot of times, you know, I would say 10 years ago, watching women's college basketball shooting percentages wasn't that great, you right. know, yeah. and now they can shoot it from all over the floor. So I think that's been a, a bit of big help to their game and, you know, and, you know, she might make more money and still staying in college than playing in the WNBA next year. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's quite a phenomenon. Uh, you know, she was um, basketball stardom because it's a sport that lends itself to athletic creativity in more ways than you see on a football field or a, 
a basketball or a, or a baseball field, we tend to get players. I'm not sure that they're generational. They, they may be every two or three generations, but you know, the, the magic Johnson's come along uh, the Michael Jordan's going way back. Dr. J Pete Maravich. It's not so much the numbers they put up and, and Caitlin's breaking all kinds of records, but she's just, she's just got a presence about her. You know, the way she handles the ball, the way you know what's coming and she can still score or, or find, find a teammate for an assist. There, there's something that is um, it's, it's non-statistical. I, I, I would say that, that, that is what makes a player like Caitlin Clark, you know, so, you know, so, so ethereal and, uh, and entertaining. She's, She's going to be a fun athlete to, to watch the next you know 15 or 20 years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're talking to a, a guy I was born in Knoxville. So I, Pat Summit is, is someone who's in my, you know, sports pantheon and watching her great teams of, from the 1990s and into the two thousands. I saw basketball when I did watch women's basketball played at a level that not many could, could match. And, uh, you know, the game is better now, you know, as you, as you mentioned the the, the year round training, is 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 in a, is a factor now, and the, the young women are getting better. But those Tennessee teams of the late '90s, you know, Shamika Holesclaw and Tamika Catchings, they're they incredible. And uh, yeah, I've got a healthy appreciation for it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I kind of when I when I think of Caitlin Clark, I kind of think of Larry Bird. You yeah, know, sure, and yeah, and oh yeah, Midwest, and she and she's. And she's not just a chucker. She's got over a thousand assists. Yeah. <laughs> you <yeah>. know? <laughs> but, so. Yeah. Great ball handler. And, and Bird was, you know, maybe the best passing forward um, of, of my lifetime, certainly in the conversation. Yeah. There's similarities there. There's, there's no doubt. There's no question. Yeah. And of course you also, you know, brought up, you know, watching Tennessee basketball. And, and I also kind of look at this thing too. I think the best thing that's happened for them too that it's no longer the UConn Invitational because, you know, they were right. dominant for so long. Right. And now that yeah. other teams are, you know, taking championships, I think that's been well, great for their game as well. There you go. Back to my, my comment about Jimmy Johnson winning all those NASCAR championships and people just kind of getting kind of slogged down with it. Okay. You know, Jimmy's got number five. Uh, Connecticut was so dominant. And in um, the, 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 the penalty Connecticut paid for being so dominant was, was creating the perception that other teams just weren't, there wasn't enough talent to spread around. Well, we're now learning that, that clearly, you know, you can win championships in, in Baylor, you can win LSU, uh, South Carolina, there are, there are talented young women all over the country and spreading that wealth is healthy. I'm not sure Gino Oriema would agree, but uh, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, He's got a trophy case that's that's a little overstuffed, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay with him getting taken down a notch myself. So right. it's, all, it's, it's it's all good with that, it, you yeah. know. And, and you know, UConn, of course, you know, since we both covered the American for a number of years, I mean, they never lost a game in conference in the American. You know, that was no. that was yeah. No, I mean, yeah, UConn coming to play Memphis in women's basketball was was not a fair fight. No, I mean, not by any means. Yeah, not for not for many. That's for sure. <laughs> it was a uh, it, it was definitely a different. Uh, you know, it's now nice to see that competition has spread right. out and and yeah. and it's def, you know kind of while you know, you got me thinking here on 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 women's athletics too because I you know uh, like I've become a huge softball watcher. It's a oh, great. It's a Good. it's a fun, you know. Yeah. I've watched it for like several years, but like each year, I find yeah. myself watching watching it more because yeah. of the pace and the enthusiasm. 
yeah. and, and all that. So, you know, you, you look at, you see how the women's basketball has, has evolved. It really is a, a, an interesting time in watching right. that kind of stuff. Right. Well, you know, you think about, you know, Title IX being in, in, uh, in my lifetime, I'm, I'm, you may be a little younger than me, but you know, 1973 is not that that long ago. And so, to think that until then, women just weren't weren't given the opportunity as athletes that that men were. Uh, that that takes some time to to um, to see some some generational evolution with the the, the training and skill development, and, and it's there. It's there, and it, it's going to be there. And it's going to keep getting better. I, mean, I love that you mentioned softball. It's one, one of the most entertaining spectator sports you can have. And I don't think I would have said it, Jeff, um, 20 years ago, I, I, the pitchers dominated, you know, the, the Jenny Finches of the world would just, you know, you'd, you'd when, when you see one immaculate inning after another, you know, with, you know, three strikeouts, how long can you keep watching? But that's not the case anymore. you got, you got women going up there, slap hitting and, and putting the, the bat on the ball from just, you know, what is the distance? It's like 40 feet. It's the ball is on you, you know, in less than a blink. It, it's, it's incredible athleticism we see in big time um, college softball these days. Yeah. You, you get, a, you get a lot more of the combination of speed and power right. in that game. Yeah. I feel like so. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it will also, they will also reach a point where, Oklahoma winning it every year won't be good for them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Isn't it funny how it's, it's sort of falling into that, that basketball uh, track, maybe just a, a few years later. Um, it's a remarkable sport. And another thing I'd point out about women's softball is you cannot bobble a ground ball. No. <laughs> and there is, you know, you want to talk about, you know, one chance at fielding the ball cleanly, you know, an error is easy to come by. In women's college softball, the ball is just so fast, and those base bases are are so short. Uh, it's it's an incredible. Oh yeah, it's an incredible watch. Well, when you talk about slap hits. I mean, you know, you can bunt the ball two feet and beat it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, true. it's yeah. the truth. It's a fast game. Yeah, you know, I, I can't stand it when when people call baseball a slow sport, and if they if they take that to softball. I got words for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, <laughs> well, of course, of course, you set me up perfectly for the segue. Let's, uh, you know, catchers and pitchers reports. <laughs> the, absolutely, sweet words this time of year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting, Jeff. You know, the team I follow, the, the team I track, the St. Louis Cardinals. A dreadful season last year. So it's, um, you know, those of us who follow them hoping for a, a new era upon us. But, you know, um, the Braves are there. The Dodgers are there. The Dodgers have added Shohei Otani for crying out loud. Oh. Um, Craig Council going to the Chicago Cubs is not going to help the Cardinals' chances. It's uh, it's going to be exciting. It always is. You know, I, I, I oxygen reaches the, the lower part of my lungs again when, when uh, pitchers and catchers report. Yeah. So what do you think uh, the prospects are for the Cardinals this year? Uh, I think the division is there to win. Uh, in Milwaukee sort of taking a step back and you know, sending you know, Corbin Burns to the American League was bizarre to me. Um, the Cardinals have, have acquired three new starting pitchers. They, they've turned their, their rotation around. Guys like Nolan Arnauto and Paul Goldschmidt, you know, are coming to camp saying they got something to prove after down years. 
And the Cardinals have some young talent. You know, the shortstop Mason Wynn is going to impress a lot of people who haven't seen him with his arm and his speed. It's a matter if he can, you know, put the bat on the ball. And guys like Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman, they've, they've got some they've got some parts. They're they're not the Atlanta Braves yet. They're not the LA Dodgers yet. Um, but as we're learning, and I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on one component of of uh, you know the new world baseball. Um, as we're learning, you get into that that postseason tournament. You can get to the World Series and win it. Um, I, I act, this is where we get to my question. I, I actually have come to believe that there's a disadvantage to the teams getting a buy, the, the the top two teams in each league. You know, baseball is not built for rest, and and the pitchers and certainly the hitters. Let me tell you, from being a a very below average high school hitter, you didn't want a day off. You wanted to get back in there and uh, and see pitches. The commissioner has to figure out something that does not penalize the two best teams in each league. Yeah. I, I'm curious about your view being a, you know, a Braves follower. Yeah, no. And they have, uh, they have been dealt that blow, uh, right. you know, and, and it, it is tough. It is tough. Yeah. I totally agree. It can't be more than two days before they're, they're back, you know? Max, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, even if it involves double headers in the, the wild card round, I think Jeff, uh, it's just, um, yeah, it's not right. I, I mean, we've had we had two years now, and I think the only team that's gotten a buy and made it to the series was the Astros two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to miss there. You know, if you're playing 162 games, you know, measurably better than any other team, and you you get knocked out, there's something wrong. Yeah. No, I would rather see it be more parallel to where they are active at the same time. You yeah. know, because because yeah. yeah, and if you lose, okay you tip your cap, but yeah, you definitely, you definitely have hampered the, uh, the buy teams in, yeah, in a major way. What was it a week last year? That, that... It was five days, I think close to it. Yeah, it was close to a week, yeah. but you know, it's, you know, it's, it's compounded by not only are you, are you sitting the, the best team over the course of six months, but you're giving the team that wins their series something to ride on. I mean, they're whoever win, whoever prevails and gets to play the team that's had the bye. They're rolling. They've won a postseason series, and they feel like you know what this may be our year. That there's there's something to the you know the mental approach of hitting and pitching that's significant in baseball. And I'm convinced it's kind of tilted the 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 field against the teams that play best over the course of 162 games, and that's. That's a serious flaw. Yeah, momentum is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, in the and the Braves winning the World Series, they did not get a bye. That's right. Good point. No, yeah. I mean, and, and remember that that Braves team in twenty one, they were around five hundred midseason if they weren't under. So, uh, um, it's it's about it's about getting hot, staying hot, um, and and that makes it fun. You know, I you know I I'd love an, another you know season where the Cardinals win one hundred and five games and have a breeze and get into the fall classic, but I don't think that's going to happen again. It's just, you know, too many rounds, too many, uh, um, too much movement. The, the, the way the pitching staff is built these days, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, if you've, if you've got as many as three guys who might pitch 200 innings, you've got a hell of a staff. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's just not a thing anymore. Yeah. The, the old days of, you know, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz and Avery. No, no, no. It's just, you know, g- g- give me two horses, a third guy, and we'll mix and match. Yeah. You know, the other two games in the rotation, it's it's bizarre. So I'm still, as an observer, as a writer, as an analyst, trying to figure that out. But with that being the case, it is going to be so hard to project here in February 
who will be standing in late October, uh, you just you just hop on board for the ride. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely have found a way to uh, to sweeten the pot of teams having a chance, but absolutely. But you, but yeah, there is there there is a casualty to that uh, apparently. Yeah. So that is very interesting. So tell me, are you a um, are you a baseball on the radio guy? I love baseball on the radio. Okay. I do. I, I love it, and uh, I my earliest memories of of Cardinal baseball actually, Jeff, was radio when I would visit my grandmother here in Memphis. Um, and we listened to, to Jack Buck and Mike Shannon, their broadcast from St. Louis came OX. And you know, again, this, this preceded, you know, the internet and you know, my grandmother had, you know, again, she had more than three channels. It wasn't the three channel days, but there weren't Cardinal TV games on every night. Like we have now with, you know, the Valley sports broadcasters and, and whatnot, but I, I love baseball on the radio. Yeah. I take it you do too, or you wouldn't ask me. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm big on, I'm big on that. So, I uh, on the MLB TV app, you can flip on the radio audio to oh, wow. overlay on on the broadcast, which is yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I'm walking around with a dinosaur phone, so I, I need to upgrade my phone and and look into that, Jeff. Yeah, that, that's great. Let me tell you, I um, I spent three years, three of my formative years in Southern California, 1979 to 82, and you know who I was listening to out there. I was in. Uh, Placentia, California, listening to Vin Scully. Yeah. You know, and he would he would do simulcasts actually when the Dodgers were on local television. You'd hear Vin's voice on TV and you could flip on the radio and it's the it's the same guy telling the same story, but in the way only Vin Scully could. Yes. So when you put, you know, ten year old Frank Murto out there spending those three precious years and all I wanted to do was play baseball, listening to Vin Scully. You can learn to love baseball on the radio real fast. Yeah, <laughs> that's precisely what happened. Happened with me. Yeah. So there's, I did this when when Vin was still calling the Dodger games. I do this now uh, for Bob Euchre calling the Brewers. Is I will at least try to tune in to the radio broadcast a few times a season because I want to treasure. Yeah, you know those yeah. moments because you know how great they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it squeezes my heart a little bit because you know Bob Euchre, he's really getting up there, but he is he's a national treasure, and he's he he's one of the ten funniest people on the planet. Whether or not he's talking baseball, we, <laughs> yes. we learned that, but he somehow is discounted as being a terrific, terrific baseball play-by-play guy. Um, I was happy that MLB Network did a, a segment, uh, a doc wasn't a documentary, but just a celebration of Bob Euchre's. Um, work in the booth uh, that Bob Costas and Tom Berducci did, and much deserving. He's 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 priceless, yeah. to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and the other reason I bring it up too, because like I often, you know, uh, you know, because these these guys become part of the fabric uh, uh, yeah. of you following a team and, and whatnot. And obviously, you know, the Braves had legendary broadcasters, you know, Skip Carey, yes. Pete Van Weir, and Ernie Johnson Senior. Right. Uh, right. you know, for, for, for so many There's years. Distinctive, I would say, Jeff, because of TBS, you know, they're, them being in a TV booth, but, but had a radio culture to it because it was daily. Yes. And they, the and they split. So, you yes. know, the, the, right. so the one, right. one guy's one set would do the first half on radio, then they flip over to TV. Right. Which, right. Which I always found entertaining as hell. Yeah. But, you know, but I could be living in Southern California or later on, I lived in New England and, I could hear, you know, I could close my eyes and listen to Skip Carey's voice and Ernie Johnson, you know, as you did, or radio or TV. They had a very 
you know, just a, a distinctive place in, in broadcast history. Yeah. So interesting aspect. So I don't know if you've heard of Jim Powell. Uh, so Jim Powell, uh, was the radio voice for the Braves, uh, gosh, from basically the time Pete Van Weeren retired. And that was also the same year that, uh, Skip Harry, Skip Carey passed away and okay. he was brought in. He worked with Bob Euchre in Milwaukee for several years and, and you could tell he learned from Euchre, you know, you, wow. you could tell uh, that. Yeah. So I, I, I really became a big fan of his. So in recent years, it was right around COVID. So he was paired with Don Sutton. On, on the radio broadcast, uh, and then and then Don fell ill, and they and they moved Joe Simpson over to radio, so okay. they started decreasing his schedule. Uh, so there's a gentleman named Ben Ingram, and he's also very good, and I like him. Uh, Powell's my favorite though. So Jim Powell started working less and less games, and then this year they said he's not coming back, and, oh, wow. and it's like one of those things that just like you know. Kind of drives me crazy that yeah. you, you when when you have these little eras come to an end that you enjoy. Oh yeah, you know the the thing about baseball and, and the broadcasting, Jeff, is that there's so much room for conversation in baseball because of, of the it, it's not slow, but there is a there is a rhythm to the sport, and you know between pitches there's time for you know observation and and gabbing and humor, and I think that's where folks like you and I who, who, who listen between the pitches and, mm. and it's not just about whether or not, you know, Murphy's going to drive in Horner with a single. It's, it's, you know, um, you know, where, where might, where was Murphy, you know, eating the previous week on the, the road trip in Chicago, these kinds of things that, that are, that are, our um, play by play friends and uncles, as I would like to call them uh, would describe for us. And it's, yeah, it's a loss when, when they're no longer with us, you know, Mike Shannon, no longer with us and and you know Mike Shannon being in the Cardinal booth for 50 years that that's my lifetime so you know, John Rooney's great Rick, Ricky Horton's he's terrific at what he does they'll never f- fill that that uh space that is left by Jack Buck and Mike Shannon yeah uh but it uh I guess so I guess I, the the one thing is yeah I think uncle is a very good analogy to use there yeah because yeah. you because know, these guys are in your living room or in your car, yeah. you know, and it's, it's just like having an old friend there. It's really, well, Jeff, I don't know about your family, but I, I know there have been times I've, I've heard Mike Shannon speak to me more over the course of a week than my sweet wife, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, you know, when, when you're addicted to the game, like, like you and I tend to be sometimes and, and it's three hours a night and you're, you're fall, especially if it's a pennant race in September, Every syllable they're uttering is important to you. So yeah, that's family. That that's at least an uncle. <laughs> yes, yes. That's something on a higher level. Yeah, right. yeah, no question. So um, next weekend, uh, so I'm finally going to make my first uh, Brave spring training game down in Northport. Of course, they they trained here in Orlando for many many years and uh, moved away a few years ago. So uh, you know, I lost my outlet of going, you know, three or four times during the spring to watch them play. So going down to Northport, that's a little south of Sarasota. Uh, so I'm going to make my first, uh, first pilgrimage down there. So I have a, I have a buddy who lives in Dallas. He's on the, he, he's on this podcast. I do a, I do a baseball show with him and he's, he's one of my former radio colleagues and another guy that's one of my former radio colleagues. So we about three or four times a, a year, we'll do a baseball uh, round table kind of show. 
So so he comes from Dallas and spends two weeks in Florida every year. Wow! And hits wow. all and hits all the ballparks. It's a oh, you know I, I hear those kinds of stories and I, I find myself upset with myself. I've never been to a spring training game. I've never been to Jupiter, Florida, Jeff. I, I just you know in part you know I've I'm covering Tiger basketball here. That's my beat. But I've never escaped to go down and watch spring training baseball. I, I was. Uh, I visited a friend in 1996 around this time of year uh, near Vero Beach, you know, where, where the Dodgers trained for for decades, and just walked around their their campus, which was surreal. You know, seeing it's it's just like walking around a neighborhood that happens to have a lot of baseball fields, but you know, there's there's an LA Dodger pitcher, you know, that there's you know someone they're playing pepper. Um, spring training is a magical experience. I'm glad you're able to do this, and I, I wish I could. I wish I could mirror what you're describing with your friend, you know, two weeks in, in Florida sunshine, just watching casual baseball and not being, you know, not being, you know, just married to the result. What my day is going to be ruined or, or made that, that would be healthy. Yeah. No, that, that is a lot of fun, you know, because there used to be quite a few teams here in central Florida and they've all moved to the, to either the South, uh, the South part of the state on the East coast or on the West coast. Uh, okay. So now, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a full day, you know, it's yeah. like going yeah. to, so I'm going to break the trip up, but like, if I were to try to do it in the same day, you know, I'm spending six hours in the car. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, no kidding. yeah. And I don't want to spend more time in the car than I do at the event. So, right. yeah, yeah, yeah so, so I'm going to like drive over the day before, spend the night, yeah. kind of make, to make it easy on myself. You know, those of us who don't live in Florida, don't give it credit for being how long it, it oh, is. That's, that's a healthy drive. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, pe- people talk to me about driving from Memphis to Nashville who haven't been to Tennessee. They don't understand that Tennessee, you turn it sideways, you're turn it, you know, on its end, you're looking at California. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long state. Yes. Same thing with Florida and, and what you're describing with teams all migrating south. Yeah. So they're now more in clusters, which is probably good. If you can get down for a week, you can hit a few parks. Yeah. So what they do in Arizona, and I would like to make this trip someday because – they have like several ballparks. They are re- literally within ten minutes of each other. Wow! So that would be kind of a cool thing uh, to experience. Absolutely, yeah. You know, a baseball festival in late winter. It's, yeah, it's my kind of thing. Yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen. I'm not sure. You know, Sharon's going to join me, but I, I'll, I'll do what I can <laughs> with her. <laughs> so you brought up covering Memphis basketball, uh, the Tigers, and. Uh, you know, they started off the season highly ranked, and it feels like the bottom has fallen out. What is going on there? Yeah, it's it's strange. I, I wrote a column this week, Jeff, uh, on uh, on on memorable basketball teams. And, you know, if, if Penny Hardaway, when he was hired in 2018, was tasked with making the, the Tigers memorable again, you know, you know, playing meaningful basketball, by one measure or another, he he's delivered uh, with each of his his six seasons. Uh, I, I enumerated the the first five, and here we have this one where you had a team that was in the top ten in mid January, and now you know they're 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 on the outside looking in unless they they make a run to the AAC tournament championship. And you know it's I think what's frustrated those of us who've watched them is it seems more a matter of effort than it does. Uh, talent drop off um it's it's the same group that won four games over ranked teams in december uh that you know you know beat a good smu team at home at the buzzer and looked like they were you know starting a role in the tournament in the in the league and it just went south over the course of two weeks those four straight losses and penny has 
who blamed himself. The players have blamed themselves. So it's it's the opposite of finger pointing, I guess, unless you're talking about pointing at yourself. But there's just there's just something culturally amiss with the Memphis Tigers this year. I would say, Jeff, they they look good last night, beat Charlotte, you know. But what does that do for you in terms of you know at large candidacy? I'm not sure it does much. There's a big game this Sunday when FAU comes to town. We've all been looking forward to that since you know the league um, adopted them, and you know since the Tigers lost to the Owls in the NCAA tournament last year. But not as big a game as it would be if you know the Tigers had half the league losses they have right now, but um, it's, it's, as I, as I said, it's, it's going to be another memorable season for Penny Hardaway. I'm just not sure how it's going to stick in the, the memories of, of Tiger fans. Yeah. You brought up FAU. So, you know, here's a team now that's learning what it's like to be the hunted and not the hunter. Uh, they have had a, true. they have had a ton of close games this year in the American. And I've always said, you know, the American has never been given enough credit as a basketball conference. Uh, it's it, to, you know, it, it's, it, no, it's not the big 10, but it's, it's, right. it's, it's a very competitive conference. And, right. and, you know, so FA, FAU was stepping up in conference this year. And, yeah. uh, and, and so now they got the, they've got the bullseye and, well, you know, and they're getting I'm everybody's brought, Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Jeff. Cause I, you know, as I said, that the Tigers losing those four straight games, teams had to win them. You know, and the the South Florida team I saw come back from twenty points down. This was on a during before we were on the air. The the winter week we had it was icy. The re, arena was practically empty. Tigers were up twenty early on the Bulls. They stormed back and they played better basketball over the last twenty minutes. You know, then you know they lost it to Lane and UAB. These are good basketball teams. So, are the NCAA tournament teams? I suppose not. But um, Penny has has leaned in. Um, on the notion that this is more than a two team league. And I, and I believe him, you know, you look at the standings, you know, can South Florida, FAU, SMU, Charlotte, uh, you know, or can three or four of those, those teams, Memphis, maybe somehow get into the dance and, and do some damage. I think they, they probably could, but um, it's a, it's certainly not a two team league. Penny Hardaway would be the first one to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> He's learned it the hard way uh, this winter, but um yeah, it, it's still fun basketball. We, we miss Cincinnati. We miss UCF. You know, we miss Houston. It's different, but uh, it's that's our reality now. Yeah, and, you know, and I've always made the case, like, uh, so this year, I think the consensus is a, th- a three-bid for the AAC this year, probably, at the very least. You know, right. I, you know we've had years where the AAC would, would get one, maybe two, and you could really contend that they were worthy of more than that. Uh, yeah, over the past yeah. several years, you know, those of us who watch the games, you know, over the course of four months right, or league season, two and a half months, uh, we recognize that. Yeah, and it, it's a shame it it uh, it takes a run in the NCAA tournament, and Houston made a couple of them for the rest of the country to see that that the league produces, you know, final four contenders uh, when when it, when it's when they're on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Frank, I always enjoy our visits. Uh, very kind of you to come on the show. So, uh, as a, as a as a uh, a favor to you, please uh, plug your the things you're doing covering uh, Memphis Tiger sports and uh, any other endeavors you would like to uh, to publicize. Yeah, well, thanks, Jeff. I, I enjoy the chats. I feel like we're at a, on a bar stool every time we do this. It's <laughs> uh, you have to twist my elbow. Um, well, MemphisFlyer.com is where you find my sports writing. Uh, welcome, you know your your listeners to to please check my stuff out there. 
Um, FrankMurtaugh.com. I have my own website that, that has some of the, the more general interest writing I do for Memphis Magazine. And I, I'm still selling books, man. I, my, my novel, Trace Company, can be found on Amazon. So, so please, if you've got uh, you know, fiction readers among your listeners, uh, hop on Amazon. It's a coming-of-age story set in the early 80s. Um, and it's tough to sell books in 2024. So, <laughs> do, do you do, Trace do, It's available digitally as well, yes? It is, yeah. You can yeah. get it for your Kindle, for, for your yeah. your digital device as well. Yeah, uh, I, I get a little more coin when you when you buy a the, the old fashioned paper version, so I encourage that. Okay. But however you get it, you know, you know, give it a shot, and if you enjoy it, tell your friends. Uh, it was uh, a special endeavor. Outstanding, Frank. As always, thanks again. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Jeff. Take care. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Cell is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.